Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. We are off to the races in 2022. It's February already, and many companies, if they're on a calendar year for their fiscal, or maybe they're coming down to their fourth quarter in their current fiscal year, one thing that's a constant, they're focused on revenue. Uh, that's the lifeblood of for-profit companies and all the process and all of the engagement uh, out in the market that goes into generating revenue. And I was looking at some recent research by the analyst firm Forrester around this area of revenue operations. So as companies are looking at the intersection of traditional marketing and sales operations, there's this concept of revenue operations we're going to talk about with my guest today. But this was really interesting. They go out and they survey companies, what's going on in terms of forecasting, which is kind of a foundational process underneath revenue generation. And 55% of responding companies said that they were missing their forecast by greater than 10%. So there's this accuracy thing that is going on. Companies are always striving to be more accurate. There's clearly an opportunity there. 89% reported at least one major operational issue. 62% mentioned at least one major trust issue, and 62% said they had at least one broader business issue. So clearly, there's a motivation and an opportunity uh, to get better at doing the things that can generate more sustainable revenue. And the other interesting learning from this study, they looked at companies that had made some investment in revenue operations and intelligence type solutions. And those that did were twice as likely to report coming within 10% of accuracy in their monthly, quarterly, and annual forecast. So there's something going on here in terms of investing and really thinking about a revolution in mindset and process and approach to go to market. And I can't wait to talk about all this with my guest today, Art Harding. And Art knows this subject from the inside out. Art is the chief operating officer at People.ai, and he has more than 20 years of hands-on operations experience at B2B companies. Most recently, Art served as senior vice president go-to-market strategy and operations at New Relic Inc. Before that, he held a variety of roles across services, sales, and operations, all driving business growth to $1 billion in annual revenue at enterprise companies including Veritas, Symantec, VMware, and Riverbed. Art currently leads all business operations at people.ai, so he really is passionate about this topic. I can't wait to jump into it with him. Art, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Um, if uh, I think if so much of what you opened with wasn't going on, your introduction made me feel made me feel tired. I was like, wow, I've been doing this a long time. But I think what we're here to talk about today is why 
I'm more reinvigorated than ever by what we do in marketing sales and services across the buyer and customer journey. Cause as we've talked about, um, it's, uh, it's changing, right? So I feel like I've got a, a new career ahead of me. I'm a, I'm a young 25 years into this industry. <laughs> <laughs> I like that young 25 years and you've done so much. Uh, you've worked in a lot of different, uh, high growth environments. I'm curious going back, what really has driven your passion around this idea of improving performance, specifically better analytics and just better operational effectiveness? What, what really fueled your focus to go in that direction? Yeah, I think most of us um, can look back at our careers and, and I can be honest, I, I never had COO on my career path as something I envisioned I was doing. I, I My background started um, as a hands-on um, consultant doing performance and tuning for technology. I did performance and tuning for databases. So I had two core principles that I was lucky enough to have infused into my thinking very early on in my career, um, which was the customer's everything in terms of really focusing on how to engineer, re-engineer, whether it's a way of thinking or a business process for them to drive performance. And then because I started as a technologist um, in the mid nineties, just the role of data that as we were just starting to unlock what was possible <clears throat> through understanding our businesses better, just watching that role of data, master data management, transformation, presentation, and now the, the use of it to actually drive workflows, AI and you know, real-time adjustments. Um, and I think really where I'm at today, and even as a go-to-market uh, leader, um, what really inspires me is to stay focused on the buyer and customer journey. And then looking at this new um, proliferation, potpourri of technology and data that we have available to us to really imagine what that could look like. Yeah, you mentioned something that just jumped out to me. You said the customer is everything, right? And I have worked in a lot of technology companies and I've seen, it's amazing. It seems really simple, right? Put the customer first, be focused on customer. But where I've been in organizations that just align everything they do around really knowing what their customers' needs are, isn't it amazing what that does? It just has a ripple effect, doesn't it? Just culturally and inside in terms of what the company is really going to commit and do. Yeah, I think ironically enough, um, we did an exercise as executives where we were recording some small snippets for our employees around our values. And one of our values at PeopleAI is that the customer is everything. And we had to say what it meant to us and how new hires could embody that value. And I said, it's a hard thing to say that the customer is not always right. But if you're in a space that we're in, where there's so much transformation going on, there's a difference between the customer being everything and the customer always being right. And that difference is our voracious curiosity in terms of where their business is at today, how their thinking and practices compare to some of the more modernizing organizations that we work with. And do we, have we earned the right through our discovery, through our marketing and messaging to actually challenge our customers way of thinking. Um, and there's a difference between thinking the customer's always right and that they might have clarity on what they need today, where so many of us driving transformative solutions into the marketplace actually need to be out in front and lead our customers there. And that's a privilege you have to earn um, through you know a lot of fundamental things done well day in and day out. Yeah, that is so true. And something else that's true is that having a healthy relationship between marketing and sales teams, it's just so critical for companies to be able to maximize their revenue. Now, I know that you've mentioned that there is this transformation that's taking place that's related to traditional marketing and sales operations, thinking and functions. Can you share a bit more about that? What's going on? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I doubt, Dan, we'd have many folks come on this call and say their organizations are, are not focused on the customer. But I think as I start to unpack what I know we're all feeling and seeing, you can probably reflect and ask yourself some questions. And I, I think the alternative to being obsessed and focused on your buyer and customer journey is you've fallen into the trap of you know doing business with yourself. And um, while that's a tongue-in-cheek fun phrase to say, it's very frustrating if you're a customer-facing person, whether you're in sales or services. You know, I recognize digital transformation is one of those words that that can make people, you know, <laughs> roll, their, roll their eyes back. Yeah. Selling and preaching it for a long time. So, you know, maybe it's modernization, data-driven, AI assist if you need a new fun word. But really what's going on is I think too often people make the mistake that these modernizations or transformations are actually technology-driven. And I have a different point of view. I think that these transformations are driven by new ways of thinking to re-engineer and engineer processes. Two classic examples that people use are Netflix and Uber. Netflix just said, hey, what if we brought the content to the people at home? And, and for those of us old enough to remember, yep. it was it was in an envelope in the mailbox. Yep. And it robbed me of my peaceful drive to Blockbuster to, to walk around the floor. <laughs> and then Uber just said, what if we got in the car with strangers um, versus not, right? And from these, these really simple questions of reimagining the buyer and customer journey that then said, well, what kind of data would people need to get in a car with a stranger? What kind of optics, visibility, predictability could we combine with iPhones and apps and, and five-star ratings? And, and they reimagined their customer experience using technology. The technology did not create these, these thinking. So back to marketing sales, and I, I also have a really hard time not including our partners in post-sales. Yes. Are, are we reimagining and are we using technology to deliver delightful, proactive, just-in-time experiences for our buyers and customers? Or have we been using this technology to streamline and digitize the way we've always done things? Sometimes to manage those cross-functional boundaries to, to, to prove that our department is performing as we should. And if there's a problem in the business, it's not us. And People AI works with so many different fantastic companies. It's interesting to see how stark the difference is when you see marketing, sales, and services organizations who are digitally transforming, which looks like fundamentally different levels of investment in their operations, enablement, frontline leader programs, and people that are leveraging this technology to, to do battle with each other. Um, and it's, it's really the, the um, difference can be quite stark um, depending on the industry and, and age of the company and kind of how they view their go-to-market functions, um, whether they're you know working as one unit or whether they're passing things off to each other like a, an assembly line. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's, it's so interesting too because in a lot of uh, organizations, so much emphasis tends to get placed on the pre-sale of that customer journey, right? Let's What are we doing to build awareness? Uh, what are we doing to generate interest? What is the handoff if we're generating leads? And then, but so much of it is around, hey, let's top of funnel. We've got to really be awesome and generate more top of funnel momentum. But sometimes, it, it, you mentioned this a little earlier, that's that post-sale part of the journey gets neglected. It's not always um, focused on, you know, to get up to the same level of all that effort being put on the pre-sale momentum. And Really, it's the post-sale that's probably going to have, especially in subscription-based businesses, as we're going, you know, we're seeing more and more of that in terms of SaaS um, offerings and all of that. That's really going to drive ultimately the, the health of the customer relationship. So what should organizations be thinking about to make sure they're fully 
uh, taking into consideration that that full extent of the journey, including post sale. So, I want the the listeners to to think of two things as I go through uh, this description, which is the opportunities are in largely two areas. Versus managing these interfaces between the cross-function, the lead conversion from marketing to sales, the purchase order from the sales team to the post-sales team, instead of trying to figure out how to manage these borders to the least level of conflict possible, it's actually in these borders where the biggest opportunities are um, in terms of leveraging technology, and, and we'll talk about some examples later, to where instead of you trying to make these borders between these departments function, you actually recognize that it's exactly at these borders where there's some new opportunity to deliver new experiences for your customers. The second thing, so the, the values in these you know, organizational handoffs and, and boundaries, that's where there's a huge opportunity um, in, in my opinion. And then the second part um, <clears throat> is that we're moving out of a lagging indicator retrospective style of leading. If we looked at any other profession, whether mm-hmm. it's you know, professional golfers or, you know, any, it's football season, you look at players, they're not collecting statistics, doing analysis in a press box or off the field, and then asking the athletes or coaches in the next quarter of play to look back at what was happening in the prior quarter to decide how to make some adjustments. This telemetry and instrumentation is feeding real time to the coaches that can provide coaching to people while they still have time to change the outcome. And mm-hmm. so I think as, yeah. as leaders, we, we look at our organizations, are we managing and exploiting the opportunities to delight our customers at these handoffs between marketing, sales, and services? And then secondly, are we managing leading, leading or lagging indicators? So, you know, you, you asked about um, some of the other characteristics here. I believe marketing is digitally transformed, uh, meaning they have really moved from, you know, if you think about full page ad in the Wall Street Journal, how big do you want your booth to be? Do you like the color scheme and the branding? Now marketing is a very data-driven, automation-heavy discipline. We look at post-sales. It used to be professional services, fixed-price TNM, people on planes, $300 an hour and four- and five-day training classes. They've now renamed and rebranded to customer success, oriented on the customer journey. Um, the, the services are embedded into subscriptions. Training has moved from hands-on labs and classrooms to snackable, just-in-time education moments, like ideally within the product. So if we were giving out digital transformation medals at the Olympics, I, I, I think I'd have a good idea of how to score the marketing and, and services team. Prior to the last two years, I really viewed that sales was a laggard and, and any ray of hope was actually coming from the inside out, meaning inside sellers, or from the bottom up, some of the newer generation of sellers who've been growing up in these digital cockpits and they're starting to matriculate into leadership positions and enterprise roles, ironically enough, just as we went through what we did over the last few years, where people are now asking questions like, what exactly is enterprise sales? Um, it used to be where you were physically located in the size of your quota. And there were yeah. some you know, traditional cliches that get thrown at the, the types of people you had doing that. That's all being disrupted as we speak. And I, I think this is where there's some interesting opportunities to ask some questions, not about how we do business with ourselves, how we can take these new capabilities to, to impact that by our customer journey. So I think it's in the boundaries and moving from lagging retrospective indicators into leading indicators um, uh, is, is part of some of the big exciting changes. Yeah. And even going through an internal process of trying to identify what are the right leading indicators to be monitoring 
uh, that that can be tricky, can it? Right? It's not just a no brainer. You've got to take some thoughtful time to really identify what are the right and appropriate leading indicators that can get you more proactive as opposed to the retrospective. Well, t- totally, and, and they're they're not stationary targets. Meaning, um, you made a comment about how important the install base is becoming. As someone who's really dug deep um, and had the benefit of working with some amazing operators and, and forward-thinking marketers and sales leaders, what's what's interesting um, is how the SaaS industry, as we were shifting from on-prem and and even hardware into software invested so much at the top of funnel, the, the science of acquiring a customer and the energy and tooling at the top of the funnel is staggering how much competition and how many capabilities are available to, to customers. But as we, as we look at the, the install base, we all have to remember subscriptions in a SaaS business is like new water on top of an iceberg. Your, your revenue is sitting under the waterline and that's where your competitors come from. That's where you're going to cross sell and upsell. And so, you know, as we look at things like activity and account engagement and persona engagement is knowing what the sales team's doing enough anymore. And, you know, what we're seeing is people really need to see data and understand their engagement from the first click on a website to the third step in your implementation process. And everyone from marketing, sales, and services need to have shared signals as to what these magic moments may mean for both the customer and for the company. And I think the install base in the role of customer success and the role of customer success operations, partnering with marketing and sales is going to continue to be a theme we're going to see grow in the future. A simple example, Dan, how many marketing organizations are consuming contacts or engagement from their post sales teams? You know, marketers are out buying whole events, but but if you're cross-selling and upselling into install base, do you have a handshake between your marketing department and your post sales team, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking about data, and you mentioned data driven decision making, I hear a lot about that a lot of organizations are are talking about it. But one thing that comes along with that is we've got such a huge amount of data volume that and it just is increasing all the time in terms of available data. But with all of that information available for the folks in your marketing sales post sales teams, I wonder about whether or not it can become just overwhelming too, right? So if you've got all this data, it's constantly growing and trying to figure out what to do with it and to move from being overwhelmed to being at a point where you can actually take meaningful actions, decisive actions. So Art, what are your thoughts around how do companies kind of balance the volume with then making it manageable and then actionable? Yeah, it's... um... I have a, a a dear friend, an operator over in Europe once who was at a, a HQ meeting and I'm, I'm sharing this tale because I'm sure a lot of operators and sellers will get a small giggle out of this. And we're in one of those classic leadership meetings. We are flashing new sets of data that everyone had to have. And there's that moment, um, sometimes like maybe at the gym where you've been doing all of these things and you step on your measurement instrument, your, uh-huh. your scale, and you're expecting a number, right? You're expecting yes. a trend. And you don't get the signal you want. And what's all of our first reaction as humans, right? This data can't be right. Like, I, yeah. is this the, is the scale working, right? Let's buy a yeah. new tool. Um, and as the leadership team was reacting to these new data sets, um, 
my, my friend, the operator, put his head down. He said, it's not the counting machine because <laughs> the, the energy of this can't be right and that emotional resistance. But to your point, I was watching how overwhelmed incredibly smart people were on trying to consume exactly what we were looking at, but not that. There's you know, plenty of IQ in the room. It was what to do with it. And were we organizationally ready? And I actually believe the quantity of data and the quantity of signals has not outstripped like any individual's IQ. It's actually outstripped our collective ability to actually pass down insights to take actions, which is where we need to do two things. <clears throat> we need to simplify our strategies and I, I actually have a little bit of an issue with people who claim to be data-driven. Um, and if we go back to that health and fitness analogy, I can buy as many Apple Watches and Fitbits and, and signals as I want. And that data, I guess it could drive me towards, mm -hmm. towards improved health. Except what I think we most of us do is we have a goal. We have a strategy. We have a set of activities, behaviors, and methods for the way we want to accomplish that goal. And we use the technology to instrument our progress and take us out of the business of maybe recording and complying to a process mm -hmm. or writing down calories or whatever. And now what we're doing is we're actually getting prompts um, that start telling us like, hey, you're not doing this right or you're falling behind. And here's a suggestion. So I think there's two elements here in the answer is if you're feeling overwhelmed, you don't trust your data, you claim you're data driven, but you, you don't have that confidence. Maybe you're asking too much from the data. And what we really need to do is one, be very declarative about our strategy. Two, take the time to study what we know about the leading indicators of success. And then where can we leverage technology, not just to report on those indicators and dashboards, but can we actually send signals to the teams that need to take the action without having to boil it all the way up to the to the Oval Office and then push it all the way back down through Congress? Like, Let's just get it right into the hands of the people who can take action. Um, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about some examples of that. But that's yeah. why I really, I really think people are looking for the data to tell them too much versus looking for the data to be a compass, a steward, and a prompt along a journey that they defined. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is that even utilizing all of the latest innovation and technology tools, systems, devices, it, that does not remove some personal accountability. I mean, ultimately... It is on us, the human factor, to know what we want to achieve, right? And to then best utilize what's available to help us achieve it. I think it's easy to fall into a trap of just let let, let the system and the numbers just kind of do that work for me. And you're right. It just doesn't happen organically. It's just that's not a realistic expectation. Well, it's, it's embedded in the name of our company. We actually really believe and actively discuss inside the walls of people AI that with the increase of technology, um, and I think Zoom, who's a, a customer of ours, is a great example of a company like this, that as technology makes its way into our life, the unlocking the human potential and actually the people become more important, right? But their role with that technology and how you use that technology, um, think about all the cultural change we had to go through, learning how to put our videos on all day and all of these different things. Um, so we as humans are gonna be part of this transformation and what both gets me excited and also creates you know, stress for me as I look at the future is when these types of transformations move through marketplaces, there's often displacement of some roles, functions, but there's also mm -hmm. the creation of new titles yeah. and new roles that, that we'll see. And it's you know, going to be an exciting future for, for sellers and, and marketers. 
Well, people and process are certainly two key ingredients when we think about innovation. Are there some examples that you can share, Art, uh, maybe some companies that have been out there that are achieving some pretty compelling market breakthroughs because they've been able to effectively let's just reimagine process and kind of the role of people within that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll give some use case examples. Um, you know, I, I, I'll be careful about naming the specific industries. And we're, we're fortunate enough to work with over 200 B2B enterprise technology companies, some of whom compete with each other, et cetera. So I want to be careful to protect the innocent. But the difference is stark. And I'll go back to the themes I started off with, which is the opportunity is not transforming your function. The opportunity is in between the functions. And the first example I'll give is we've got some great partners um, in the uh, intent space on the marketing side that our customers will use intent signals, which marketers have been looking at account engagement from a marketing perspective for a very long time, where they can see intent signals of people visiting your website, searching for certain things, et cetera. Traditionally, we would pass that intent on via some lead or some number to the sales team and hope that they follow up with them. Um, modernized organizations today are sitting, their sellers are sitting in digital cockpits where they're visually being prompted or acting on two data sets um, or sales leaders. One, not just intent signals in terms of which categories of your customers are, are raising their hand, but in the same place with a shared perspective with the CRO and the CMO, what is the sales activity and level of engagement? And you can start asking questions like, why do we have high levels of sales engagement with very little no marketing support? And why do we have high accounts that marketing has invested in, in getting engagement that the sales team's not following up with? And this has traditionally been more of a baton passing analysis. Let me share the insight with you. Can you please act on it and tell me what happened? Whereas right now, the individual seller has the ability to have that data at their fingertips to see their territory and see how marketing is engaging accounts and then asking them the, their, themselves the questions about their time management and working with their sales leader. So the first one is, yeah, that's a marrying of a classic marketing data set with a classic sales data set and it being shared um, by both teams while you're performing. Uh, another example would be, there's been a lot of discussion about instrumenting sales teams activity. Like what's your seller doing? What's your seller doing? Unless you're selling an extraordinarily straightforward, simple solution, maybe a high velocity motion, you're probably selling with teams, um, SEs, specialists, executives, and sales leaders. And if you have an install base, how is your customer success team not part of that buyer experience, right? And so when we look at account engagement and we think about account engagement in a modernized organization, you're not just asking how many times has my sales rep met or emailed a prospect or customer. You're asking how many times has my company touched this customer? Which persona were they touching? And where in the buyer and customer journey did that touch take place? And subsequently, which organizations get those signals, these shared signals, so that they can work in unison? Marketing kicks off a customer marketing campaign while sales starts to do an upsell and cross-sell motion while CS is pulling a renewal in. Can those three organizations work as an orchestra and can you send the same sheet music <laughs> at the right moment for them? And then I think the last one is just knowing your buyer personas and journeys and, and how does that change as you make acquisitions, as you start moving into new markets? Are you asking every single person who interacts with a customer to, to write down and log who they met with? 
or do you have a data exhaust that allows you to see the types of personas that show up in your buyer customer journey? And um, I know we, we chatted about this previously. It's, a, you know, the way we run go to market today sometimes, if you're not modernizing, could look like asking Olymp, you know, Olympic athletes to bring their own pens and paper and write down their performance while they're actually <laughs> conducting the event, right? And uh, I think we're in a day and age where the, the professionals should be able to focus on their task. And this really starts to show up in the coaching and the frontline leaders um, that are, are, again, using leading indicators. If I'm an Olympian and I've got a coach, yeah, I'm interested in my coach's retrospective perspective of my performance. But if I'm out on a soccer pitch or polo ground or whatever Olympic event we're talking about here curling, I want to hear some coaching during the match when I can still impact the outcome that I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, that's that's so true. And you know, we're in these revolutionary times, right? We've been we've been talking about that, but it's a really a time of opportunity. And so great leadership versus just okay leadership, I mean, that can make the difference in terms of achieving breakthrough. And you're in a chief operating officer role now. You have tremendous responsibility inside that organization. And as a leader, what is your view on what you think makes leaders exceptional? And and how does that, again, that human factor come into play as part of that exceptional leadership? Yeah, I think the, <clears throat> the first thing is, I don't know how many LinkedIn memes or cliche posters are out there, but the difference between managing someone and you have this mindset of compliance and governance, um, if that's how you're arriving at work today, um, it's got to be very challenging to, to be perceived as an effective modernized leader because I believe modernized real leaders realize that first and foremost, they're coaches and they're performance coaches. And one, they have to inspire their teams first and foremost on, on the why we're doing this and why we want to be great and why we want to continue being great, um, this continuous improvement, you know, growth mindset. And number two, they understand that inspection without coaching is micromanagement. If you're going to inspect something, I hope that you're ready to provide some meaningful coaching to go impact that outcome. Um, you know, I, we've made the health and fitness analogy. I don't get a trainer to have them tell me that I'm, I'm overweight and I'm slow. I may have known that before I hired the trainer. I'm actually looking for coaching in terms of how to improve those outcomes. And I think first and foremost, recognizing our role as coaches, which means inspiring for the right to inspect. And then as we're inspecting performance, ideally on leading indicators, that, we've, that we're ready to provide timely and meaningful, meaningful coaching. Um, on the human side, you know, I, I talked about how the sales organization is digitally transforming from the inside out and from the earlier in their career sellers up as they start to move into enterprise. I've been fortunate enough to build great relationships with sellers in their twenties, thirties, and forties in, in this role. And what's interesting is we all love to have a, you know, take a, a, a little tour of making fun or poking fun of our younger brethren, like every generation before us in terms of, Hey, the oh, these, this generation wants so much feedback and participation trophies and pats on the head. I actually choose to take a, a more optimistic view on that, where as leaders, we need to understand the people we manage are growing up with different paradigms and expectations. And what we may perceive as pats on the head and the need for constant you know, affirmation and confirmation, maybe we should look at it through the lens that younger generations, people earlier in their career, they've been growing up 
in a world where they're getting feedback and signals on their performance when they still have time to change the outcome. So they, they demand that, right? And so they don't want to wait until the end of the semester to find out what their grade is. They, they want their telemetry along the way. They don't want to know how their performance was in their QBR next quarter. They want feedback while they still have time to do it. And if you're not ready for that, it can be a little exhausting because frankly, you know, if you were not operating this mindset 20 years ago, um, you know, things were a little bit slower. I used to get my account lists in a single column spreadsheet with 18 names on it and a, a, a comp plan I had to sign and fax back. Um, the amount of data and signals we're providing now where we design territories as we drive performance, people don't want us to do that and then send them out to fend for themselves and put them on the scale at the end of the quarter. They're expecting us to lean in as leaders and coaches. Um, and it requires us to think differently as leaders. And I, I think um, because we're leading so many different um, types of people with different backgrounds, it's on us as leaders to evolve. The second part that really stands out for me, and, and part of this is my um, path to, to an executive, which went through a lot of different roles. I've been a seller, I've been in post sales, I've been in operations, is that exceptional leaders think cross-functionally. I think the days of you being a marketing expert and you have all these cliche one-liners against sales and, or you're the, the bobblehead sales character who's out there, you know, steak dinners and single digit handicap golf scores and, and, and you only know respect and speak sales. I think these personalities are going to see more and more challenges as not only do we move to leading indicators, but we move to cross-functional leading indicators and exception. I'm seeing exceptional leaders are getting curious about their cross-functional business partners, particularly the role of operations in enablement. Um, because the role of process and technology and data is becoming so prevalent, mm -hmm. there's a stark difference between someone who wants to outsource some of their job to operations and enablement, right? I need you to make my team compliant. I need you to teach my team. And those that are leaning in getting curious and not just building up vocabulary and awareness, but also relationships with very different characters in the, in the forest in terms of having an understanding and empathy for the different trade-offs and decisions these, these teams and departments have to make. And the future leader is cross-functionally minded, leading indicator oriented, is looking to exploit opportunity in the boundaries of our organizations, not defend them. And they recognize that some of the newer ways of thinking like every other generation are things we should study and embrace, not, not patronize. Yeah. And you mentioned empathy there toward the end, which is so true. And especially right now when we're, we're trying to really understand and uh, as leaders, I think incumbent on us to uh, really be supportive of uh, back to the human factor of what our team members are going through right now with between pandemic, between a lot of the disruption. And so the empathy piece does, does come into play really in a big way. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, now is the crystal ball moment. Art, I want you to pull that crystal ball out. And when you look to the future, what makes you optimistic? So um, I know enough about myself at this point that I think I'm a bit of a change junkie. I've loved the technology space. I love the creative destruction this industry loves to inflict on itself, how quickly we evolve, but it can also be very stressful, right? So you know, when I catch myself getting overwhelmed about what the future of my role, the people who work for me role is, I always have to flip back to, okay, you know, let's look at the optimistic version of this, right? Um, and 
we're all focused on improving seller activity. And I think the first win we're all going to experience is as we've tried to absorb this proliferation of technology, our first response was to try and digitize and make the way we were doing things more efficient. We're already seeing in some of those examples we, we talked about earlier, and there's there's many, many more, that we're now moving from trying to absorb this stuff. We're getting off of our heels, particularly the organizations um, that are making smart investments. I had mentioned Zoom earlier. We, we were just working with their team. When you see these modernized digital organizations that are aggressively applying technology to their future, the investment levels that they're making in their operations, data, and enablement teams and their frontline manager development programs is very different than people trying to cope and standardize and rationalize and are, you know, kind of still trying to react to the technology. So as I look to the future, I actually anticipate that we're going to see a, a shift in workloads in, in terms of the roles of different um, personas within our own organizations. What role operations play, plays? What role enablement plays? What role your frontline leader plays and what capabilities they have? The derivative is I don't think we're going to see incremental productivity increases. I think we're going to see maybe potentially fewer, quote, classic sellers, but the amount of ARR, revenue, and productivity they drive, I don't think it's going to be 10, 20% more. I think we're looking at exponential productivity gains in the future. But the cast of characters and technology that these people are using to do their jobs is going to look and feel very different. And so I think we're going to see new roles and new functions mm. in the operations enablement and leadership. Those roles and responsibilities are all kind of mingling together right now. And, and we're going to break through this and we're going to see frontline managers with more awareness, more assistance, more guidance to become world-class sellers, uh, world-class coaches. We're going to be able to deploy our go-to-market resources much more intelligently. How long do we today, for example, you know, we carve a territory, we give out a certain number of accounts. We're past the point of wondering whether people are calling on accounts or not. We've got the technology to see whether people are engaging with those accounts or not. Are we ready to actually operationalize the decision to move accounts um, and maybe recut the territory in the middle of, a, of an operating uh, year? And so when I think about organizations being able to respond more quickly um, and be more agile, I, I think we're going to see huge gains in terms of what we're able to do. And, and hopefully that investment then pours into the products and R&D that we can, mm -hmm. can invest for our customers' experience in the future. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, I like the picture you're painting, Art. You're, I, I'm feeling better about it. So thanks for sharing that. And as we start wrapping up our conversation, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are seeking sustainable growth and, and differentiating from the competition? Yeah, I have this uh, <clears throat> triangle I've been drawing for a few years as I've been out on my pulpit preaching my uh, modernization <laughs> journey. And the three characters um, that I put on the tips of these triangles um, are from a, a presentation I was asked to do at a company where I was brought in to that first day of the sales leader meeting. And I was introduced by the executive team as Art's here to fix operations. And they handed me the microphone and I was <laughs> standing out, looking at a room full of leaders. And this was the only message I had for them. I said, hey, how many of you think you need a great ops team um, to make how you do your job straightforward and simple? And you know, I got some clapping and I said, okay, yeah. how many of you would like to have your enablement team aligned on the same page with your ops team? Everyone claps, yeah, okay, maybe he is here to fix operations. Uh -huh. I said, well, I'll let you know a little secret. 
Um, and this is the this is where I think our focus um, as leaders today needs to be. Your operations and enablement teams are never going to exceed the high watermark set by your frontline leaders. And so if I was drawing this triangle, I'd have operations and enablement on the bottom two points of the triangle. And at the tip of the triangle is the frontline leader. That frontline leader sets the culture of learning. That frontline leader sets the culture of operational rigor and readiness. But I'll tell you, as we talk to prospects and customers, there's a large portion, in my mind, it's probably close to 50-50, that don't even have documented, formalized frontline leader programs. And we take highly talented sellers, we push them into this role, which is where strategy translates into execution, and we hope they figure it out. And I think the opportunity is really connecting those three points of the triangle, the frontline leadership, your enablement team, and your operating functions with the seller at the center and making sure that those three guiding factors are working in unison, that's where you're going to get real leverage in taking your strategy and turning it into execution. Um, and it's where we see the starkest difference in maturity today in the marketplace. And then the technology feeds that mindset. It doesn't create it. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, so true and really interesting perspective. Art, thanks again for coming on and sharing your perspective in revolutionary times around go-to-market thinking and how companies and leaders can really take steps to really break through traditional ways of thinking and achieve greater revenue results and stronger position in the marketplace. Thanks again. Thank you, Dan. And thanks to all of the listeners for continuing to give us the gift of feedback on how we can make this podcast even better. Please continue to do that. You can rate and review on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast. And as always, a reminder to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.